Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Welcome back to the Brain Care Podcast. Today, we're joined by psychiatrist, keynote speaker, and the author of Eat to Beat Depression and Anxiety. It is the brilliant Dr. Drew Ramsey. His work and writing have been featured by the Today Show, CBS Sunday Morning, The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, The Atlantic, you name it. He's basically been there, and now he's on the Brain Care Podcast too. So, Dr. Drew, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for joining. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Dan. Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you. And hey, to everybody who's listening, I look forward to, to sharing lots of insights about nutritional psychiatry and how to feed your mental health. Let's start with a very broad question. Why does mental health matter to you specifically? Mental health matters to me because it's the most important aspect of health. And when you don't have your mental health or your questions about your mental health or you don't have a diagnosis, you're just like struggling with anxiety or depression or even one symptom, it's really concerning. I mean, I, I know that I've had a, a variety of different mental health symptoms in my life and, and, and challenges, but I mostly know that as a psychiatrist of just seeing so many people in the last 20 years of clinical practice struggle with their mental health and get better. And I think we have so many amazing like health recovery narratives that we see where people you know, are saved by a surgery or a heart attack. But it's really when you when you see someone recover from a severe depression or, or conquer panic disorder or get something like bipolar disorder under control it's just it's just incredibly inspiring and it's just a certain type of healing that's always I don't know it's really excited me about the way that um we can understand each other and help each other what actually prompted you to write eat to beat depression and anxiety I realized that there hadn't been the information put together in a way that's accessible to patients and that most people I met were really confused about what to eat. Most people I met and talked to about food were in a stance of fearfulness and shame about nourishment. And it just really increasingly spoke to me how twisted and and horribly messed up that was and how horrible both our nutritional advice and our dietary and diet culture was for mental health. And as the data really got strong, I mean, this is my fourth nutritional psychiatry book. So as the data got really strong over the last five years, I felt it was important right now to just take a very, very firm and clear stance. If you're struggling with your mood, if you're struggling with anxiety, if you care about your brain health, you need to pay attention to what you eat based on the latest evidence and based on some really good common sense as well as like cool new science. And all that kind of came together. The book went to market prior to the pandemic. Uh, we were, I was at work at the book um, as the pandemic hit. I'm thankful that the, the book is out now as so many people are thinking about food and mental health like they never have before. I'd love to um, talk about the work that you've done and the insight and the connection between diet and depression. I think about it in three buckets. The first bucket are the molecular and and neurochemical ways that food relates to our mental health, that food gives us the building blocks of all of the components of what we think of as a good mood or clear thinking, whether that's serotonin or the myelin that wraps your neurons or uh, the vitamin B12 that, that you need as a cofactor. 
particularly interesting is the way that food impacts brain inflammation and brain growth at the chemical level. The second bucket of data is looking at correlational studies of populations and understanding that when certain nutrients are low or missing, there's a much higher risk of depression. And particularly, these studies begin to focus on dietary patterns. So we're not just looking at zinc, we're looking at, hey, do you eat fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and seafood, or do you eat burgers and fries? And as the data evolve there, you begin to see that traditional dietary patterns and the Mediterranean dietary pattern look very protective for depression like a 30 to 50% decreased risk of getting depressed uh, in one study over a college career based on your dietary pattern. So that, that's really exciting, but it doesn't convince medicine until you have randomized clinical trials. And so now there've been five of those about a food intervention to treat clinical depression and four of them have been positive. Uh, the most famous is the SMILES trial that's looked at 67 individuals and put them in nutritional counseling sessions along with treatment as usual and found a full third of them went into full remission. And I like this study because I think that's where a lot of people are. They're in a treatment that like is maybe working or working pretty well. Like maybe a medicine has really helped them with some of their symptoms and maybe their psychotherapy is really helping them process aspects of their personality or trauma or challenge in a relationship. You know, things that medicines and supplements just aren't ever gonna do for us. But I like having this, this other piece where you can also kind of layer in uh, nutrition and food. And I think the SMILES study did that and showed that a third of those patients went then into full remission from their depression. And so that's how I see the diet between uh, depression and food. I put anxiety in the book because so many people suffer with anxiety. And even though there isn't as much science, there's still a lot of cool science. And as anybody with anxiety knows, there's a real connection with food. Your blood sugar is low. You're more anxious usually. If you're eating a lot of processed foods and a lot of sugars or drinking a lot of alcohol, you're usually more anxious. There are also foods that make people you know, more anxious, like stimulants like caffeine, even green tea. Even some of my favorite brain, favorite brain foods like dark chocolate has theobromines that some people are really sensitive to. What are your top foods for feeding mental health? My favorite foods for feeding mental health and the food categories I really think people need to often improve are small fish like um, anchovies and sardines, really inexpensive way to get the omega-3 fats into your food. Most of mine is on top of gnocchi and pasta. Maybe it's just an excuse for me to eat pasta. I really love helping people with fermented foods. These are foods like kefir or kefir, great fermented food, uh, as sauerkraut and kimchi. All of these are, are featured in some of the recipes in the book. I think nuts and seeds have a lot of nutritional value and they, they bring a lot to the table in terms of a snack food. They're natural, they're portable, they have a nice mix of fat, protein, and slow burning carbs and fiber along with lots of nutrients. And so getting people to snack on more whole foods and more nuts is important. Rainbow vegetables, so so some in the, in the book are, are things like red peppers and avocados. But getting, you know, when you look at sort of a basic rule of brain food uh, in the States, we have this eat the rainbow campaign. And in the book, I talk about the brainbow of just when you think about that spectrum of colors, you're thinking about a spectrum of phytonutrients and, and uh, a variety of phytonutrients. These are molecules that are made in plants. We often call them antioxidants. And I, I think that really doesn't do them justice because they're much like vitamin C is an antioxidant, glutathione is an antioxidant, but these, these things like sulfurophane and quercetin and these phytonutrients, 
They're much more like self-signaling molecules. And they also often have an effect on the bugs in our gut. I call them the good bugs. In These are the bacteria that live with us in a symbiotic state in our guts. And eating more fermented foods and feeding those good bugs more fiber is just a core tenant of eating to beat depression and anxiety. And so if those are the things that we should be eating, what are the top things you recommend that we should be avoiding? Well, I find that people really struggle with some of the foods that are highly correlated with depression. Uh, commercial baked goods, and I don't mean from your local artisanal baker, you know, get if you're going to eat bread, sourdough bread is great. Um, but commercial baked goods, things, you know, things from a package, you know, if you're opening a package, if you have stuff with an ingredient list, I, I mean, I know that's annoying, but that's really the truth of it. Alcohol, just a lot of alcohol consumption, really bad for your mental health. Um, sugary drinks, and, and I'm going to put diet drinks in here. To me, there's this debate often about, you know, the data around artificial sweeteners. And it's just, to me, a really silly idea. It's really dumb to lie to your brain. It just is. Your brain has been doing this a lot longer than you have. And so when you take in artificial sweeteners, when you eat artificial and fake food, you're essentially trying to trick your brain. And there's just something about that being a brain health guy that really offends me because your brain is taking care of you in ways that you don't even ever conceive of. None of us do. And so I really started to get on a little bit of a high horse here about artificial sweeteners. It just really bothers me where people are paying attention to the, oh, does it lead to this illness? And is it bad for you? And do people eat more categories? And it's like, it's dishonest. It's biologically dishonest. It's like... That's my rant about artificial sweeteners and avoiding those. Again, not because there's some big study, just because from a basic common sense standpoint, you're trying to make a relationship with something to regulate your hunger, to regulate your appetite, to foster and build more creativity, more love, all the good things your brain does. You don't go into that relationship with a fib. What is the diet that you recommend to most people? Like just broadly speaking... If you had to pick one. Oh, I have a little rhyme. I tell people that I say seafood greens, nuts and beans, and a little dark chocolate. I just think that's a good place to start. Just thinking about your last week. How was your seafood consumption? If you're not eating seafood, where are you getting your omega-3 fats? Um, Long-chain omega-3 fats. But seafood is, is, I think, done well, the most environmentally friendly or animal-based protein and, and, and vitamin and nutrient source. Greens are just really nutrient dense and nutritional psychiatry really revolves around sort of worships at the altar of nutritional density. I think just my, my sense is a, a reasonably straightforward and simple doctor that what you're looking to do is to get all the nutrients your brain needs for the minimal amount of calories and the minimal amount of inflammation. That just leads you right to whole foods. And greens are a great component of that just for the, the, the bounty of, of folate and, and a variety of, of vitamins and minerals they bring. Nuts and beans, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on plant-based proteins. You know, neither one are like protein powerhouses, honestly, but they both, um, I think, are more interesting to me to the way they feed the microbiome and, and the way that they are really satiating and certainly focusing not just on beans, but on lentils, which are one of the, if not the top source of vitamin B9 folate, really besides the liver, I would say the top source, top plant-based source, really just critical for our, our mental health and brain health. 
Um, you know, my little rhyme has uh, doesn't have fermented foods in there because I'm. Uh, I wish I could squeeze. I need a second verse, but fermented foods are really just a wonderful thing to reintegrate into people's diets. They just a lot of folks have lost that. A lot of people are from very interesting cultures that have lots of fermented foods that have kind of traveled away from those and, and, and kind of lost some of that heritage in the vast morass of processed foods. Fermented foods do a few things for us. One, when, when bugs ferment food, some nutrients get made like vitamin K2 that you don't really find in food that much. They also break down sugars. That's why people, even some people who are lactose intolerant, kind of tolerate some types of cheeses because the you know, bacteria chew them all up for us. Along with this, when we seed our gut with more types of good bacteria and then feed those bacteria the fibers and plants, it's just increasingly data that's really good for our brain health, mental health, overall kind of energy balance. It's, it's emerging data, but it's just exciting because it's such a direct connection between what we eat, how we feel, and our brain health. Yeah, I love that. It's the nutritional psychiatry starter pack right there. You know, you start with those foods eat good whole dark chocolate, drink a lot of water, drink more tea, don't drink a lot of alcohol, drink more kombucha, you know, do that, see how, see how you feel. In the, in the book, I walk people through a six-week plan that kind of walks through five of these food categories and approaches it a little like I approach things clinically. Like I'd, I'd want to hear about a food category either that, that you're curious about or Dan, if you're plant-based, maybe you were interested in mussels or maybe you were interested in certain aspects of, of some plants or a nutrient you were concerned about. Or there was a, a certain food that you loved that you realized you weren't eating. So I'd kind of be looking for opportunities to work with you over just the next week or two until we met next to think about some small changes. I met with the patient last week and, and, and talked about simple snacks and mindful eating that it struck me. She was eating healthy, but she wasn't enjoying it. And I mentioned something about half an avocado with olive oil and salt and pepper. And she talked about, you know, she, she sort of sat down and, and had this avocado really mindfully. And that she talked about how like the time sort of slowed down a little bit and that she could be really present with it. So, you know, sometimes it's not just the, the food. It's also helping people kind of with the experience of knowledge, acknowledging the, the importance of what's happening, the choices that are being made, and then the, the, the nourishing aspect of it. Love it. Thank you so much, Drew, for your time. I hope you get to enjoy a beautiful day in the sun in your, in your farm. I, I think I will. I'll go do that right now. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at your heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how healthy your brain is, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain health to get your free score from one to 100. See you next time. Hold up. 